Hey, thanks for tuning in to this podcast. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry to encourage your life. If you want to find out more, visit our website at freedomlifeag.org. Welcome to Freedom. I am finished. These are the words declared by the 40-year-old Winston Churchill in 1915 after leading one of the most disastrous naval campaigns in Great Britain's history. Members of his own party declared him a public danger, even a maniac. But 20 years later, his strong warnings regarding Hitler's rise surfaced. And as he took a position that his king didn't want, his cabinet didn't want, or even his own party, once there at Churchill inspired a small island to preserve and fight against this ruthless Nazi war machine that had effortlessly rolled across Europe. He helped to save Western civilization with this seemingly small act he accomplished with a dedicated few with many had a hard time doing with many this was a decision that would cause the comeback that the country needed it's important that we understand something here today that you shouldn't always consider the numbers to whether or not you can overcome adversity. There could be a lot of people that don't believe you, your dream, the calling God has in your life. But Churchill also once said this, if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stay there. Keep going. Because anything that's worth fighting for is worth fighting. If you're going through hell, keep going this morning. I want us to understand something. I want us to understand that it's clear that adversity is common. It's commonplace. Friend, if you're not going through adversity, I wonder if you're doing life right. Everyone will go through adversity. Some of the greatest comebacks in history happened because there was adversity. Let me tell you something. For every person at the sound of my voice this morning, your setback is often a setup to your greatest comeback. Your setback is often a setup to your greatest comeback. I want to talk to you about the greatest comeback. The greatest comeback. Well, first there was the cross. First, it was the cross. It all starts at the cross. The cross wasn't a last-minute effort to right a wrong, but rather a historic shift of epic proportions to bring us to a place to know who God is. This no tragedy gone wrong. The cross wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a. It wasn't a moment that slipped up in God's agenda. It was etched 
in the plan from the very beginning. See, the Son, the one who gave himself up for all of us, had followers, and he was betrayed. Judas betrayed him. His followers betrayed him. The ones he healed, the ones he fed, they betrayed him. In fact, the ones he poured into for three and a half years, yep, betrayed him. It didn't matter what they've been through or what they've done. When adversity came, many ran. Let's talk about the cross. Here we have a perfect creator and a perfect creation. And something happened that needed to bring them back together. No, you weren't perfect. You weren't born perfect. But God had a plan for you from the beginning. One thing that I realized today is that we all have one thing in common. Hope. We all have hope. No matter what you've been through, what you've done, where you've been. One thing that I can speak for sure that we all have in common is hope. The path of redemption was made by the Father. But it was submitted to by the Son. He said, I'll go. No man takes my life. I lay it down myself. My life, I lay it down. Let's move to the betrayal. The betrayal was interesting because the betrayal, Jesus had been betrayed by one of his own disciples. Maybe you read that story. And he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. As I researched it, I tried to find out what 30 pieces of silver looked like. And my study has proven that each coin was roughly about $20. And so... If we do the math and we figure out it was a roughly about $600 that he was betrayed for. Our humble king betrayed for $600. Does that seem right? You see, he had been arrested, interrogated, tried and falsified evidence to Jewish believers of the day. The council of the day had it out for him. Peter, the one that he was supposed to rely on, the one that was supposed to build my church and feed his sheep. Remember that? Denied him. Pontius Pilate and Herod questioned him. And he was whipped profusely, mocked in profanity, paraded around like a laughingstock, called the fake king, crowned with thorns. Some of you know the story. Every aspect of the crucifixion was designed not just to hurt the victim, but to shame them. Shame them beyond anything they've ever experienced. Jesus was forced to carry the crossbar of shame up a hill. Wearing a placard around his neck, named his crime. But what was his crime? I dare submit to you today that Jesus was not only shamed before the people, he was also shamed before heaven. He never murdered, yet he felt the shame of a murderer. He never lied, but he was disgraced like a liar. 
He never cheated. But he was embarrassed like a cheater. He bore the sin of the world. And he felt the collective shame of us all. All upon his shoulders. Why? So you can sit here and hear about freedom. So you can sit here and hear about life. Let me ask you a question. If you were up on the cross. And you look down. And you see all the people you're dying for. What would you say? Well, that could take some time if we asked everyone what they'd say. But let me tell you what he said. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This is a foreshadowing of what the Father would do for all of us. Complete forgiveness. What was he doing? Interceding for you and for me. Oh, 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 no. You don't understand. Pastor Tony, I've forgiven people in my life. I dare say that many of us have forgiven people after the, after the dust settles. Time has went by. It's very, it's very easy to forgive people when the dust settles and all the pain kind of has went its way. And you still have a little remnant of it, but you can forgive and move past it. No, no, no. Jesus didn't forgive when the dust settled. There was still blood dripping from his brow. Dripping off of his face and hitting the ground. It was then that he forgave. Not when things got better. Not when things looked up. Not when things were looking better for them or for him. It happened during the sacrifice. He forgave you from the beginning. Maybe you came in this morning, you don't understand what that forgiveness looks like. Well, I'm talking about the forgiveness. And here it is. He lived out Matthew 5.14. He lived out love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He didn't just say it as a beatitude. Are you hearing me? He didn't just say it as a, as a part of a, a quirky little part of a sermon. He lived it. He lived it at that moment. As blood was dripping from his brow. Blood was dripping from his side, coming off of his hands and feet. That's when he was forgiving us. He didn't forgive us at the tomb. He didn't forgive us. He didn't forgive us way before. You know what he did? He, he went through the sacrifice and said, even while you spit at me, I forgive you. And that's what he's doing 2,000 years later. Forgiving us all. Jesus is the lamb that was slain once and for all. Let me make this clear. He's unlike any other God. I mentioned last week how there is no other king. Today I'm, I'm telling you there is no other lamb. When I think of when I fall short on a daily basis, it's a huge comfort to know that he's praying for me. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He meant it. I want to tell you today that adversity and the adversity that many of you are going through today. Give me your undivided attention for a moment. I want you to hear me. Adversity fuels miracles. It takes no faith to believe in something that is expected to happen. 
But adversity allows faith to be activated in your life. He was wounded. His life was torn. He was dragged out to the very end. But he wasn't blindsided. He knew exactly what he was getting into for you and for me. Can you picture him on the cross? Because I see a comeback on the horizon. Sin had taken our Savior and fastened him there. They drove nails through his hands and feet. Put a crown on his forehead and said, come down. To prove strength, come down. Jesus says, I will not prove strength by coming down. I will prove strength by staying right where I am. The comeback. The comeback, even while sin is trying to torment us, even while he's vanquishing sin, the comeback was on the horizon. Friday was a bad day for some. The rabbi was taken. Our master, our teacher, our CEO of our ministry, the one that ran everything, was taken from our midst. What do we do? Saturday, they wake up. Saturday, things are not looking better. It's the first day without Jesus. How do you handle this? How do you deal with this? How do you process this moment in time? Saturday was a rough day. You see, Friday took the breath out of many. Saturday left them speechless. You ever got the wind knocked out of you? Both of those happened. He was speechless and the wind was knocked out of them. They were left without a savior. At least some of them thought. But there's a comeback on the horizon. I said there's a comeback on the horizon. See, that just set the stage for the greatest comeback in human history. While Jesus' enemies have been busying themselves watching over the tomb, the angels were dispatched. Life was about to change for 11 individuals. One had a different plan. The other 11 Plus, we're waiting to see what was about to happen. They ran to the tomb. Mary specifically ran to the tomb. She left and she met after experiencing the tomb and realizing it was empty. She ran back to the disciples and told them. And I quote. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Notice, it was the Lord they took. It wasn't it. It wasn't the body because he's dead. They had taken the Lord. They referred to him as a him. Realizing that he very well may be alive. I want to tell you today. Do you see church and your faith as an it? Or do you see your faith clinging to the one that is all faith? Him. You see, he is the pinnacle. He is the the center of all of our Christianity. You see, if you're a believer today, 
Don't get caught standing outside the tomb like one of the disciples did. He ran and he ran. Watch this. He ran to the tomb to find out what happened and he wouldn't go in. Sounds like the way some of us live our lives. We run to the presence of God and yet we wait outside the tomb because we're a little scared of what that might look like or how that might affect us. Can I tell you today? Don't stand outside the tomb. If you're there, go inside and see for yourself. Experience for yourself that the Savior had a borrowed tomb, not a permanent tomb. He is alive and he is risen. The greatest comeback in human history. I like how N.T. Wright once wrote in one of his books. He said this, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. Watch this. Here's what he said. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that now you're invited to belong to it. Did you know that? That Easter is about you being invited into God's plan for for humanity and the redemption of man. So we talk about the greatest comeback. Why is it so important? Listen, no comeback meant more than this one. You see, if the resurrection isn't true, let me answer the question. Why is the resurrection so important? Let me answer it. If the resurrection isn't true, he's a liar. All the disciples in the book of Acts that preached were liars. And it was all a hoax. It was all a hoax. Did you know that the resurrection and the and the and the um, the resurrection of Jesus was mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament? That's a hundred times false. If the resurrection isn't true, there are so many historical facts and documents that point to the resurrection. That it drew many scholars that were doubting it and researched it to even turn to Christ. Can I propose to you a thought this morning that absolutely blew my mind and I wanted to share it with you. Are you ready? Christianity is empty if the tomb isn't. Christianity is empty if the tomb isn't. It is the essence of... Of all of our faith, if he didn't rise again, then we're dead in our sin. If we're dead in our sin, why are we here singing to a God that can't save us? What are we doing? If not wasting our time. But I'm telling you right now, he didn't say, I give you resurrection and I give you life. No, 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 no. Church, hear me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He is the embodiment of all life. He is the embodiment of resurrection. He didn't just do it. He is it. He is the embodiment of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The thing that we cling to as a nation, he is the embodiment of all those things. Christianity is empty if the tomb isn't. Jesus does more than give life. He is life. So what am I talking about? Here it is. 
Are you ready? I'm going to put this in a capsule for you. For those of you that wondered, what does this have to do with me? What well, has everything to do with you? Because if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then you know what it means to you. If you're here this morning and you've slipped away, fallen away, they have a lot of different words for it. At the end of the day, you've not made them Lord anymore. I'm going to challenge you that in a few moments, I'm going to call for a response. I can't be in a room full of people on Easter morning with an empty tomb and justify not giving you an, a choice this morning to accept the one that resurrected so that you too can have the greatest comeback of your life. It doesn't matter where you're from or where you're at. It doesn't matter what background, whether you're rich, poor, black, white. It doesn't matter what if you grew up in the city or the suburbs, in the back hills of some mountain or in the streets of L.A. If you grew up in New York like I did or in a little town called Muncie. It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, the Savior is the Savior of all mankind. Two questions that fuel your comeback. Number one, did he die? If the answer is yes, then number two, do you accept his death as a substitute for you? See, because you can't die for yourself. You would need to die for yourself in order to pay the price, but even then you couldn't, you couldn't pay the debt for your own sin. He did it for you. Do you accept that today? That is the steps toward your greatest comeback. So let me propose this to you one more time. Did he die? And does it matter to you? Because if it does, then you need to make him Lord of your life. And maybe you're here today and he needs to be Lord of your life. Then you're in the right place. So today, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Bow your heads all across this room. All across this room. Father, I'm asking you right now that you would help me to speak this next word in a way that would change and revolutionize how we see the cross, the betrayal, the forgiveness, and the comeback. In Jesus' name. Nine years after the miracle in the Hudson, let me have your attention for a moment. A pilot landed a plane in the, in the Hudson, saving the entire plane. Everyone on board survived, and he was labeled a hero, and rightfully so. But nine years after that happened, tragedy took place on the Hudson, where five people lost their lives in a helicopter crash. The New York helicopter crash killed everyone on board except the pilot. But it was caused by something very interesting. A series of failures by the very mechanisms that were built to save them. Now listen closely. This flight had been chartered by these five individuals for a private photo shoot. But there were a series of things that went wrong. The first one was 
the fuel shutoff valve. It was intended to be a safety feature, but when accidentally engaged during the flight, it forced the helicopter into an emergency landing. Second thing that went wrong was another safety feature, the flotation devices shown in this picture up on the screen. These flotation devices were meant and designed to inflate them to save them. But when, when it was set off at the wrong time, it caused the craft to flip on its side and take on water faster than it was intended. The third thing was the harness. The harness was a third feature that this helicopter had that was set so that those that were on the plane could take pictures and not fall out of the plane. So this harness was there to protect them initially, but in this circumstance, it was the beginning of the end. It pinned them underneath the water, bringing them to their death. Now this is not an Easter story, but it is truth. And it points to the reality and the truth of this. Many times we ourselves hold on to things that we think are saving us. But when they're engaged the wrong way, they end up harming us. For instance, what are you talking about? I'm saying this. You can go to church your whole life. Never accept Jesus. Your attendance could be epic. Perfect. Get it all right. Know all the right answers. You could serve in ministry. You could do certain things for God. And you can do wonderful exploits for Him. And still not know Him. Those are all results of grace. We do what we do, right? There's nothing wrong with serving God, right? There's nothing wrong with going to church, right? All those things are good things. They're right things. They're things that should be a part of our lives. But when that's the only thing you cling to, if that's the only thing you hold on to, that could be to your detriment. So what I'm saying to you today is there are some of you in this room, the church, God, faith, Jesus, the cross, None of those things are priorities to you. But then there's other individuals here today that all those things are priorities to you. I'm telling you all equally and with the same emphatic passion, this, nothing saves you but the cross. It tells us very specifically, if you could throw that slide up, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is a what? A what? A what? It's a gift from God. So that no one can boast. So we don't go to church. We don't love. We don't read. We don't pray. We don't worship. So that we're saved. We do this thing, we do those things because we're saved. Because we realize that it is by His grace that has saved us. We do these things in result of the grace that God has given us. We don't do that to be saved. Now, I don't know how you grew up, but I'm telling you what the Bible says. 
No one can boast about salvation. It's only found in him. So here's where you come in. His comeback draws us to the point of what does it mean to me? Well, we get to come back to him. You ever felt like a prodigal? You ever felt like you were coming home? I felt like a prodigal sometimes in college, even though I was in Bible school. I felt like a prodigal. Because there were times I outwardly had it all figured out. But inside I was burning. I was burning to want to be my fleshly self. And I'm telling you today, get it settled in your life right now. What are you going to do with the rest of it? Because you could have everything around you going right and internally everything go wrong. But you can't internally have everything going wrong and everything be okay out here. You could fake it till you make it, but are you really making it? So I'm going to ask you this question and I want every head up and every eye open. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Tony, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure I got... I'm not sure I got this all figured out. And here's the, here's the kicker. People may see you stand. People may see you raise your hand. But it does not matter in light of eternity. It's the cross that matters. You've seen the cross and that's what matters. So today, if you're here in this room and you've lost your way, it's time for your greatest comeback. Right here, right now. Because he died and resurrected, you can come to the Father.